Hey there, I'm Caitlin Pedersen and welcome to Inside Intercom. Today, we're dissecting the customer experience at one of the hottest companies around, Slack. As someone immersed in customer experience questions and concerns day in and day out here at Intercom, I was fascinated to hear that Slack has an entire team dedicated to thinking about the end-to-end customer experience. So I was excited to sit down behind the mic with Lane Collins. Lane has such an interesting story. She joined Slack as the 50th employee or so back in 2014 when the support team was just eight people. And now she leads the customer experience product group at Slack overseeing the help center, localization, user education, and the app directory. In our conversation, we talked about how Slack manages the customer experience as a product and how the customer experience should evolve as businesses grow. So let's jump into the studio. Lane, welcome to the show. Kick things off for us by telling us a little bit about your career journey. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in North Carolina, and there wasn't a lot to do. So what I did was kind of get into the internet. I got into BBSs at first, and then like AOL chat rooms, and then gradually over time, I started to find kind of communities around music. And so I taught myself HTML and Photoshop and started building my own websites. And it really led me into like building communities around music, just as a teenager, kind of sitting at home trying to figure out something creative to do and trying to meet people that I connected with. And really, that's how I kind of got into community and support, ultimately, um, was interacting with people from that age on and in really building communities around musicians that I loved. And so I was one of the first support people at Twitter, worked part-time remotely from New Zealand, which, you know, early in, in startup life, it's great to have remote folks who are kind of around the, around the world for the follow the sun model. So yeah, I worked early, early at Twitter. This was back when Twitter was like, maybe I think it was like 28 people back then. And yeah, that was just like, I really kind of, started to grow up at that company. It taught me a lot, especially support at scale and seeing something scale from a tiny little company. And back in, when was this? I think 2008, all the way up to, by the time I left, I think it was around 3,000 employees. And now, so right from Twitter, I ended up going to Slack. And I started at Slack in 2014, about six months after it initially launched. And I started there also as a content manager, so working on the Help Center, which back then was basically just, you know, a few FAQs that Ellie Rail, my my boss, she's the VP of customer experience at Slack, as well as Stuart, uh, our CEO, had, had put together. It was just really early days. And yeah, so I guess that's kind of my career journey. There's so much good stuff to unpack in there. So turning our attention to your time at Slack, you joined uh, in 2014, as mentioned, it sounds like you were the 50th employee or so. So much like I'm sure you saw at Twitter, you've undoubtedly seen the company grow in big, big ways. And I'm sure it's been an incredible ride. So are there any lessons you can share on how to maintain great team culture and focus during rapid growth? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, and I think this is being talked about more now. Like, I, I think there's there's always been a lot of talk about culture and maintaining culture. But I definitely early on at Slack started to realize and kind of see firsthand how important it is to think about it as culture add and not just maintaining something. And so every hire that I've made at Slack, 
I've often just really tried to ask myself in addition to kind of, you know, are they a fit for the role? Rather than like, are they a fit for the team? Are they going to bring something? Are they going to add something? What kind of experience, what kind of um, passions do they have even outside of work? Like who who are they as a person? What are they going to bring day to day? And I think that's something that's been, I think, really successful at Slack as a whole. Like I've seen this company grow and scale better than I've ever seen it before. And I think really, you do have to stay focused on the customer. You have to stay focused on that human-to-human aspect because it keeps you humble. And one of the things that my my boss, Ali Rail, is so amazing about is she's just so good at reminding us all the time, like, you know, there's always another human on the end of this and you have an opportunity to make their day or honestly, kind of like ruin it if you just aren't giving them the, the attention that they deserve, you know? So, I think in in past experience at other jobs, it can be easy to kind of see tickets coming in or chats coming in and just feel overwhelmed and and feel like, okay, just got to get through these. It's it's about the numbers or it's just about getting through my work day. But stopping and pausing and thinking like, hey, what would I want if I was in this person's shoes, even just for a split second, makes all the difference. Absolutely. That customer centricity is so, so key and, you know, needs to be thought about and approached in different ways as a company skills. I love what you mentioned there, though, about, you know, hiring people who are going to bring a new element of culture and who have these creative sides to them, as you, of course, sound to have had with your photography background um, and these interests and passions that really create a robust cultural environment internally. And then that's brought to the customer. So I love that. All right. So Lane, you started at Slack when its user base numbered in the tens of thousands and Slack now has millions of users. So how has the company's definition of the ideal customer experience evolved over time? So, you know, are there some elements that have stayed the same or what has changed? would love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, so much. So I would say first, what stayed the same is our really customer-centric approach. We talk about this concept Radical convenience is a, is a term that we use. And I would say it's not necessarily something that we are always living up to consistently. I think it's really hard to live up to something like that consistently. But it's important to have this like North Star that's aspirational that you're always trying to strive for. And for us, that's really where we would like to continue to, uh, to get to, to, to navigate towards is just thinking about, you know, making sure that people feel welcome in any interaction, that they're always feeling included and and considered. That I, I think that's that real hospitality aspect of support is thinking about, you know, anticipating people's needs. And that's kind of what my team thinks about a lot. And I would say what I've seen has changed about our consideration of customer experiences that I've seen it really expand. Like my team is, it includes a lot of disciplines that aren't always included in a typical support team. But for us, it like the reason we kind of consider ourselves a customer experience organization versus solely support is we kind of own that whole feeling. It's part of the brand, right? It's part of the the way that people think about our company. And that's that's definitely held true from day one. But I would say that like even the things that we include under our sort of umbrella has has expanded over time. Radical convenience, I think, brilliant and certainly something that's ear-catching and no doubt very interesting to new people joining this team. And I think even if you're not living up to it all the time, right, it's helpful to have these aspirational 
well-branded, easy-to-remember things that can help guide those decisions, as you said, when people are slammed in the inbox or, you know, like running through tickets. So uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. At Slack, you know, the organization is called Customer Experience. It seems like that's somewhat intentional. We have customer experience agents rather than support reps. It sounds like your team is now called the Customer Experience Products, and that's actually within the larger Customer Experience Org. So it's so great that Slack really has this entire group dedicated to thinking about the customer experience versus seeing it split up across product, sales, marketing, support. So can you tell us a little bit about the customer experience group at Slack and, you know, at what point in that scale was it created? And within that customer centricity, what is that customer experience group's mission? Yeah, sure. So I'll just tell you a little bit about kind of the the four pillars of customer experience at Slack um, and how we're organized. So we have two customer-facing support teams. So we have what we call services team and we have an admin services team. So for Slack, one of the interesting things about our product is that we we kind of have two sides of the coin. Like most people are joining teams and are, you know, working away. And we also have this other side of people who own teams, administrate teams, work on the back end of like billing. There's like big companies, IT folks. And so that's like almost a whole other version of support. It's, it can be more technical, can uh, be more enterprise. So we have these two core pillars of support that are really one-to-one, including live support, phone, all the things. Then we have an operations team. And what the operations team does is they oversee all of our tools, including things like Zendesk, but also really working on building out and thinking about how can we make our tooling better and how can we really innovate in that space to ultimately start to make our agents' working lives better. And finally, we have my team, which is customer experience products. And so we have several teams, kind of sub-teams within our pillar. So we're focused on the help center and overall sort of the help experience within Slack and on all of Slack properties. 
as well as we have user education. So if you've never used an app called Foundry, that's our new app that you can use to, to train people on Slack. So it's it's like a it's a Slack app. You can install it, and people on the team can use it to to learn a little bit about administering Slack or just working in Slack. So we're working a lot on you know how can we teach people Slack in a really effective way. Also, we have the App Directory team. So what they do is oversee all of the apps that are submitted to our App Directory, and it's just another way of really serving our customers because we're thinking about the app directory as a whole and how we can recommend great apps and what apps belong there, what are our customers going to find useful. And finally, we have the localization team. So that's also under my umbrella. And so we're really, we're localizing everything with Slack. We're really overseeing everything from marketing content to the help center to Slack itself. So we localize all the things as well. And so it's interesting because it, it sounds like these things are a little bit disparate, but honestly, um, so our, our shared mission is to help people everywhere discover the power of Slack. And we really believe in that. Like, I, I think that that can be different for everyone, depending on what it is. And so it's everything from helping people use Slack in their native language to finding a great app that makes their workday easier or better to just teaching them how to use Slack in some way or another so those are kind of our core teams, and we also have engineers and a designer. So it's a really multi multidisciplinary team, and it's just honestly a huge honor and, and so awesome to, to work with them every day. I absolutely love that Slack intentionally treats things like user education and help center as products. And I would imagine it helps ensure that those pillars that ensure an experience or support team can can do right by your customers are prioritized as much as, say, new products. So one of the products you've talked about is that help center. So I think as many of us know, help centers tend to have a bad rep as something that users go to as a last resort. Certainly that's the way of the old world of thinking about uh, customer support or experience. So how do you make the help center experience so delightful that customers prefer to use it over one-on-one support? And how does your team measure the success of the help center? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I would say the first thing I was thinking about when I joined Slack, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of had this amazing blank canvas to work with of just like, hey, we can we can build out a brand new help center. We have this opportunity to create something from scratch that can be beautiful. It can be, it can really feel like it's part of Slack. It's part of the product. And I think what I really wanted with that was something that wasn't going to feel like a really boring sort of manual. Like I wanted it to feel surprisingly helpful and, and delightful in a way. And I wanted it to feel like super easy to use in a way that because we didn't back then have user education really available much at all, was really going to be kind of the first the first version of user education that we had. So there's just so much that goes into it. I think one of the things that I feel really strongly about is that content strategy is incredibly important. First and foremost, even before you start thinking about the look and feel of a help center, it's really all about how do you organize the content? How do you phrase things to help people find what they need very quickly? And how do you how do you stay concise? How do you we talk about it's lack kind of this idea of help content should should just give people the information and get out of their way. It should just be there 
and and fast, but also really actually useful and not just sort of out of date or super dry. You know, it, it should show a little bit of our personality, but really should the first and First priority is always about making it really highly usable, highly scannable, easy to find exactly what you need. And so I would say after the content strategy, it's definitely like, well, you know, this is part of your brand. This is part of the customer experience. If if people are, are going to a help center and it's outdated or really hard to use or barely loads, you know, that that's that's telling. That that shows them how you're thinking about your customers. And so that's all uh, like the, the kinds of things that I was thinking about when we built the Help Center. And ultimately, you know, I kind of um, did a lot of competitive analysis, just looking at other Help Centers out there and kind of just tried to put together essentially a design spec of like, okay, here's what we're going for. And here's a lot of it I had to build on like what I knew we didn't want. <laughs> but the idea of like making it colorful, making it beautifully illustrated, it's really about keeping the the person's eye engaged and not just kind of, you know, when you look at like a website that's just got a, like a white background, some black text, some blue links, like you're just, your eyes kind of gloss over a little bit. You're, it's, it's hard to find anything. So that was kind of part of it. I just wanted it to feel slacky. I wanted it to feel welcoming. And it's really just, again, kind of goes back to that radical convenience value of just making sure that people can find what they need really quickly. Absolutely. So I'm sure it's changed over the years, certainly since 2014. And at the risk of pulling you into a metrics hole, a metrics rabbit hole, how does your team think about measuring success of the of the help center? I think as you're scaling, you know, you implement and test out these different strategies to help you scale that customer growth. So how are you guys thinking about measuring success with things or products like your help center? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely something that we are getting better at as a company in terms of just building a better data muscle and data infrastructure, right? Like at, at the rate that we've scaled, we have to keep in mind, like we're we're not a very old company at all. We are still just like basically toddler age, right? We're going to kindergarten right now. So that's something that we're working on. But I would say for the help center, we definitely look at some pretty standard metrics. So of course we look at, you know, how many tickets are filed from each article, how many people are viewing, like which which ones are the top articles and why. And we're also looking at, so we have of course the was this helpful survey at the bottom of every article. And we're always looking at that as well. And really, it's all about not just one of those things, but all of those things together and looking at what are the signals for, okay, maybe this is the top viewed article, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's fine that we want to welcome people to Slack and like have them read about more what it is. Because you think you're like, you know, if, if people are coming to a help center for something like learning what a product is or how do I upgrade? Those are things that you want. That's part of your business. That's driving conversion or um, for us, like workspace creation. So we we look at those metrics as well. It's not just about how's the content performing in terms of its effectiveness, but also like, can we be just another beacon? Um, can we be another sort of part of the brand that helps people feel like, oh, hey, this is a great help center. Like, their support must be great. Like, let's go, let's try this thing. I think it could be really, you know, I think it could be really great. Great. Makes a ton of sense. So 
looking ahead down the road into the future. So, you know, at Intercom, we think a lot about the ways to keep the customer experience personal as true to our mission and values, you know, here in the age of the internet. But, you know, when you're a small business, you can have those one-to-one conversations like you were talking about during your time at Twitter, but that gets a lot harder as you grow. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on using automation, for example, chatbots to, to help scale the customer experience. What do, you, what do you like in that space? What do you think is, is not so great? What are you guys looking at ahead? Yeah, it's a great question. So automation for us, we have staunchly gone the opposite direction. And it's kind of hard in this day and age not to go that route. The one space I would say that we've played in is is bots. So for a long time, we've had a bot called Slackbot that we experimented with including help in. So unfortunately, we just never got to a point where it was very smart. But you could type in, you know, a topic like direct messages or, you know, create a workspace, like if you wanted to sign up for another one. And Slackbot would come back with some suggested help center articles or possibly like sort of a canned response. But we never got it to the quality that we really wanted. And I think for now, what we really just want to double down on, especially as we continue to scale as quickly as we have been, is just continuing to focus in on that one-to-one person-to-person support. You know, I think one of the unique things about Slack is that you know, we built support into the cost from the very start. And so what that means is that we can actually scale our support team. You know, what I saw in my career at Twitter was very different in that, you know, we were working on a free product and, you know, maybe we had like 20 people working on support for millions and millions of users and it was just overwhelming. And of course, with with something like social, you're going to get so many crazy support requests for usernames or to be verified or, you know, all of those things. And so it was just a totally different world. And we just almost didn't have the time in the space to say, no, this is a person on the other side. Um, we just had to kind of keep going and try to stay above water. And at Slack, it's it's just so different. Like I've just really deeply appreciated the the thought that has gone into the business from day one. And so we're going to continue to scale out our support team as, as we can, keeping, of course, and efficiency and things like that in mind. But that's really, in a way, my team's job. That's one of the things that we think about rather than going down the automation route, rather than going down the, you know, auto responses and things like that. It's really up to us to say, okay, you know, of course there's always going to be people who want to reach out to us one-to-one, who want to call us or, or chat to us, and that's okay. We we should accept that as part of our business. These are our customers. They're, you know, they're paying for our, our service. And so the idea with thinking about the health experience overall is, of course, thinking about self-serve and how can we make self-serve actually appealing and actually good. And I so I think down that road, there's probably going to be a little bit more automation just in terms of thinking about, well, how can we show people things that are relevant to them? How can we show them content that is relevant to like, you know, if they're new to Slack or, you know, if they've been around for a while, they probably need different types of help, right? So I I think that's kind of more the direction that we'd be likely to go in in terms of thinking about technology in that way. Sure. I imagine that delineation between those two pillars, as you refer to them, the group, so your admin kind of technical team and then your end users, I think that's really interesting because it's so easy to go the route of breaking out customer groups by 
spend or maybe even industry, but um, I think breaking them out by like customer profile and role Mm -hmm. makes a ton of sense and has probably helped inform some of these decisions that you guys have made. So I guess, you know, like it's so clear in this conversation as well as, you know, we're Slack users and big fans. So it's clear that Slack is really the gold standard that when when it comes to customer experience. So what's your advice for other support leaders who want to make the customer experience more of a priority if they're at their company, if there's no, say, formal organization around it like there is at Slack? You know, we've touched on customer centricity. We talked about folding that in from the beginning. But yeah, any other advice for people that want to go this route, but, you know, the, the path forward may not be clear? Oh, gosh. Yeah. First of all, power to those people. (laughs) I would say one of the things that I found really helpful is reading some market research. I think that there's a lot of information out there around just considering what are the things that lose customer trust. And support, of course, is really high on that list, right? In terms of like, if people have a really bad support experience, while it's not something that they would necessarily say that they're thinking about when they're evaluating something or like signing up for a service, it's definitely going to be something that's going to impact their overall perception of your brand or even impact them in terms of like them walking away or canceling their subscription or whatever it is, right? Like if they have a bad support experience, it you know, I mean, think about any bad support experience you've had. It, it often like you know, gets you to the point where you're just like, screw this company. I want to walk away. Um, Never mind. I'll I'll just, I'll take my business elsewhere. I mean, I think like airlines are a really good like example of that. You have a bad experience once, or you even see the bad press from an experience that someone else has had. And you're just like, I don't want to give money to that company. I don't want to support that. I don't want to have that experience or, or be part of that. So I think it's really just thinking about it holistically and considering how what kind of case can I build around why support is important and why and how, honestly, it's part of the brand. It's part of the, the marketing of the company. It's part of the overall, again, customer experience. And so I think it starts there. And I think from there, I think you really have to build a lot of sort of internal support within your company of like really building allies for for the customer experience, um, particularly within product and engineering um, and partners like that to to really make sure that you are able to to communicate with them best and and helping them hear the customer voice if they're not working one to one within support. So I think it's really just about kind of leading that mission internally of of staying customer centric, always considering what the customer wants. And I think there's so much richness there to, to dive into, but I, I think that's kind of the, uh, the advice I would give. Great. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us here on the podcast lane and kudos for all of the great work at Twitter and certainly at Slack. So many companies and businesses out there, uh, ourselves included, want to, you know, prioritize their customer and scale their business uh, in the right way. And it sounds like you guys are really on to something. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing uh, with us. It's been great, great having you here today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.